coming to you from sunny Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the Paper Stack Podcast, where we cover current topics in the note industry, give you tactics for your note business, and talk with industry leaders to make you a better note investor. And now, your hosts, Brett Berkey and Rick Allen. Coming to you from sunny Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the Paper Stack Podcast, where we cover current topics in the note industry, give you tactics for your note business, and talk with industry leaders to make you a better note investor. And now, your hosts, Brett Berkey and Rick Allen. Hey, it's Rick and Brett back for the Paper Stack Podcast, bringing you another edition of some goodies to feast on and listen to as you're driving along. Maybe you're on your the morning drive-in or the evening drive home. I don't know. Or you're on your treadmill just walking. <laughs> Staring aimlessly out the window, wondering when your 30 minutes is up. That's right. Here we're ho- Hopefully we're here to make that 30 minutes go by a little bit quicker. Yeah, that'd be nice. Or make it feel like an hour. Who knows? Right. Put on incline and turn it up. Here we go. So, yeah. So, what we're going to be talking about today is a little bit of a, a change in the way Rick and TJ set up their operations. Because they came from a background of wholesaling, a different mindset of when they got into new investing to where they are now. And so, it's something that I thought would be really nice in terms of teaching people and telling people why there's more to it than just getting it out type of mentality. I wanted to talk about, because the stories are good, stories of the, of the first couple people that Rick and TJ helped in the note business and why this changed your trajectory of the direction they went in from there on out. Yeah. Like Brett said, we came from, we were wholesaling and then we were doing fix and flips. It was all real estate intensive. So we were used to getting down and dirty with the real estate. We just Predominantly, we just bought stuff in our backyard, so it was all stuff that was not really in my backyard. Within a 30, 40, maybe an hour drive, stuff that we knew, we knew the area, we knew the neighborhoods. That's where we focused. And so we, when we got into mortgage note investing, just by happen chance, the first one we bought was a non-performing loan that was vacant, and we got it for a little under 10 cents on the dollar. We paid 8,400 dollars for 90,000 in debt. So. Nice. Yeah, it was. And that doesn't happen every day anymore. No, that doesn't. But the point is, we got it back because I looked at it and said, I know stuff is selling for 20 to 25 in the area. So we're buying it for pretty cheap. And I felt like even fixed up, it was probably worth 70 grand. Wow. So it was, there was definitely some money there to be made. And I knew that the borrower, was in a sticky situation, going through a bunch of foreclosures. We didn't know any better at the time and had reached out to the borrower prior to purchasing the asset, which is a no-no unless you have permission from the from the seller. But we reached out to her and said, hey, do you want to you sign the house over? We're about to buy your loan. And she said, yes. So it was that we started off on the trajectory of getting real estate back. She, we went in there, we purchased the note, flipped it, made some money, did a great job, did it in 14 days. It was just, it was perfect. And so subsequently then every, we looked at that as, wow, that was the play because we were of the mindset of a real estate investor, really. And it is a mindset. And we didn't, we were investing in notes, but we weren't note investors. So you would buy the notes to basically work out the real estate. We were buying the notes just to get the house. And so we were, it was a very one-track mind. And like in wholesaling, you don't have, people think wholesaling is, oh, you go and you offer on houses of the MLS and then you turn around and you try to get a house on the MLS for cheaper and turn around and sell it for high. Mm-hmm. That's, yes, 
You can do that. You can also send out letters. You can also send out postcards. You can also go door knocking. You can also put stickers on houses. You can also talk to mailmen, people that work in the neighborhood, lawn people, drive-bys. Bandit signs. Bandit signs. I looked at notes as another way, as another tool to buying houses. It was just, and that's how it was. And so... Whenever we would buy, that was from Condor Capital, they would just, they would send us stuff and they, they thought that they were, they're like, they would send us anything they had in Orlando. And we would go look at every single house. And wow. we would drive by the house, we'd look, and we would see what was going on. And then with that same mindset, let's get the house back. Let's get the house back. Let's get the house back. Pay people to get the house back. To the point where we were, we were going in and first we were buying just vacant stuff and then we hit our first sort of roadblock where we couldn't find the persons. If they're behind, we'll start buying stuff where they're owner-occupied. And then we started expanding from $30,000, dollars $50,000 houses to $250,000 houses. Wow. And buying them owner-occupied where they're a year or two behind and paying people, buying them at such huge discounts of... Man, we were buying stuff worth two hundred for a hundred and five. Wow, a hundred and five thousand. And I'm not talking like beaters. I'm talking like stuff that was worth three fifty. That because the market tanked was down at two hundred, and we were buying it at a hundred and five, and the house needed nothing. Wow. And so we. <laughs> That's nice. It was great, but we were paying people that had the full capacity to pay. I was paying them, I think the biggest check we wrote was $20,000 to leave, to walk away. Say, look, I'll write you a check for 20 grand to get out. They take it? Yeah, they took it. Yeah. And we turned around and sold it and made 100. Wow. So for me, it was like, it was worth it. But it was that mentality of what? Real estate. Get the house back. And you've heard us talk about, we went and ended up bumping into... Note school in Dallas at the five-star event, and we went and got some education. While we were at the three-day education, and then was subsequently turned into a membership, to our mentorship, we we learned about becoming a note investor. And we learned about as many different tools as there are for buying and selling or acquiring real estate as a wholesaler. There's that many different exit strategies for becoming a note investor. You're not a one-trick pony. And before, when we went and got some education, we were a one-trick pony. We actually, we were a one-course pony. We had different tricks within that course. We were trying to get the house back, and I knew I could do it via deed and lieu, foreclosure, consent to judgment, but it was just one path to get around the track. And so when we went and got some education, we learned. Are you new to the mortgage note industry? Have you been wanting to learn the step-by-step process to purchase your first mortgage note? You're in luck. We've convinced our CEO, Rick Allen, to break down everything he knows about mortgage note investing. Through a series of 50 videos, you'll get everything from start to finish of where to purchase notes, how to purchase notes, and all of Rick's investing techniques he has developed over the many years. From performing note tactics to non-performing notes, Rick gives you everything he knows about investing. Bonuses include our glossary of industry terms, Rick's own proprietary calculators he created to evaluate notes, discounts from our partners, our Rolodex of vendors, a private Facebook group, along with a lot more. We've packed so much content into the Academy to take you from beginner to expert in no time. 
To learn more about the Academy, go to academy.paperstack.com slash welcome. Again, that is academy.paperstack.com slash welcome. There's so many more different exit strategies and to becoming a well-rounded note investor, more tools of ways that you can get in and out of property. Interesting. And one of the ways that we learned about was like working with the borrowers, trying to either save their house, come up with a win-win strategy. And it's, there's this, I don't understand, I don't know if it's from the matrix or whatever it is, but it's don't think outside of the box, realize there is no box. Yeah, the spoon. The spoon. Don't think about, don't look at the spoon, think it's real, there is no spoon. And that's when the little kid bends it with his face. So don't think, don't think, oh, I'm gonna think outside the box on how to work with these bars. Just realize there's no box, there's no constraints. You can do just about anything. Come up with win-win scenarios and strategies to work with the borrowers, to work with you. How did you learn that though? Was that at note school? Or was that just um, kind of think about it? Like, hey, crap, we're the I bank. learned the concept of that. But I've always been pretty good at like being able to put together like a win-win. And TJ was actually really good at helping because he's really good at listening to people's situations or situations and understanding like he can pick through they'll be saying one thing and it took me a while to get there he was he's naturally really good at it hearing exactly what they're saying and being able to decipher all the noise and everything and understand their message and we were a really good combination because he could really decipher what the heck they were trying to say when I would think they were maybe saying something slightly different but I was really good at saying okay I can put together uh, structure and this deal that would work for everybody. Yeah. And so that was, once we started doing that, it was great. And so we learned that concept on the way down there or at, while we were there at this three day education of look, work with the borrowers, think of different ways. Look at the, we started learning about performing assets. We started learning about short sales. We started learning about short payoffs, started learning about some of the other ways to get the property back if that's what you want to do and different ways to structure it to keep them in the property, what to do on forbearance agreements, how to structure a property. So a whole pile of information. Interesting. And so we decided then on the ride back to reach out to somebody and I was like, I know exactly who we can call right now. I got the exact borrower because they were, we had been just doing the same business as usual, hammering the borrower, come on, sign the house over, sign the house over. And despite, the reason I knew is because we had been asking questions. We just, the, it, I don't know why we weren't registering, but they were, why do you want to keep the house so bad? And we were talking with the older, there was an older gentleman who lived there, and I think he was in his 70s. My dad's probably like, older gentleman. Dad, you're not 70 yet. 70s. And he lost his wife. She had died like a year and a half earlier. And I was actually not talking with him. He had signed a power of attorney over to his daughter. And I was talking with the daughter. And she's like, my dad's lived in the house. He lost his wife. They've been there for forever. They did a refinance, got money. Just, it's just, a, it was a sad story. It's, and it's not much different than a lot of the stories I've heard. Not everyone stop paying on their mortgage because their neighbor did. A lot of people had fell into financial hardship. So we started, we knew the story of these folks and we were hammering them and we had them ready to sign the house over and we were gonna make five grand. Or we were gonna sign the five grand over them and we were gonna try to turn around and resell it. Gonna have to wait for them to move out. The whole deal, it was just, it was a nightmare. And I think we were into it for 35, they owed us 70. 
house is worth maybe like 55 or 60. Oh, wow. And it was whatever. There was some money there to make. And on the when we got in the car, we were like, okay, let's try to do something with this. I was like, let's call, I don't remember the lady's name, but let's call her and talk to her and see if they want to do a short payoff. Yeah, what is a short payoff? So a short payoff is they owed us 70. Okay. And we said, look, how about you pay us 50 or 55? I can't remember the exact numbers. And we'll let you have the house free and clear. Oh, wow. And that was, there was principal, that was a principal balance. There was other pass-through fees and stuff. So, look, we'll give you the house for free or this price. We'll knock this much money off. You can keep it. Wow. And, she, and they said, that's the short payoff. So we offered that. And I remember when we finished offering it, the lady was like, really? And she started crying. Like, literally on the phone, started crying. And I was just like... I didn't know if she was laughing or crying. I was like, oh, she's crying. This is crazy. And she was like, yes, can I wire you the money tomorrow? We have that money set aside. And so they did it. And she was like, you don't realize how much this will mean to my dad. It's how much it means to me. God bless Just the whole deal. God bless you. This is amazing. And it was like, I remember hanging We're on speakerphone. And okay, and hanging it up. I was like, wow. It was like we were really excited because, wow, we just, I think it was like 55. So I think we ended up making 20 on it, 20 grand. But it's funny, the numbers, I don't remember the numbers as well as I remember that emotion. And it was, we were just like, wow, that was great. And after we were like sitting there and it was, we talked, we were excited. But then we just sat and we were riding in silence and just, I don't know, processing what just happened, digesting. You're like, wow, that was really cool. We just helped that lady out. She was so excited. And there was this additional sense of return. Not financial return, but humanity. It's like we deposit a little money into the humanity bank account, right? It's, wow, that felt cool. Let's do that again. Let's try that. And so that's, that really changed the way we invest. So do you, how do you, moving forward, did you start looking for notes where you knew there was issues where you could come back in and help at the same time? Or was it just kind of like, Yes. Was that just something Yes. Like- and so with that, what that, what it started to do is it started to refocus our our diligence efforts. It refocused our the inventory we looked at. So you, now you're only looking at owner-occupied stuff. Yeah, we're, we're looking at owner-occupied stuff because after that we started doing things and we realized that a majority of the people we talked to actually wanted to stay and pay. You start going back and thinking about the other ones you're like yeah that lady wanted to stay and pay yeah that lady wanted to stay yeah they wanted to stay and pay yeah that you know what just about most of them all wanted it <laughs> most everybody wanted to stay and pay you just had to figure out how that would make how you make it work and there were some that they were like no take it i don't want it it's, it's yours i just want some money for it give me some money so you had to like decipher those but you realized okay we can do we can help some people and we cannot spend money on foreclosures because people started seems like people started fighting the foreclosure thing a couple years after we got into it, we started getting people that were like pretty good at the foreclosure battle. Yeah. And those are not fun. And those will drain your profits in a hurry. Yeah, we just started looking at, hey, let's look for owner-occupied stuff where we can keep people in the house and start buying those to see what we can do. Maybe we help some people out. Maybe we take them back through foreclosure. Hopefully not. But we'll see. We'll at least make offers. And so that's what we started to do. And it what were those phone calls like now with this different mindset and attitude? I remember, so you guys, listen, you got to know I came into this a little bit 
way after. But I would hear where they would just basically address them differently. Tell me your story. Tell me what happened. Most people are like, what the hell? Yeah, that was it. That was like <laughs> you approach the phone call with a totally different. Like when I would first start out buying stuff, like when we first, before we got we had a paradox or paradigm change, it was always like, hi, we're buying the house. We don't like to foreclose. We like to offer win-win solutions. I'd like to give you a see if you're interested in signing the house over. If you want us to go through foreclosure process, there's always a risk of us getting a judgment against you and then coming after you for any deficiencies. I'd be happy to throw you some money to sign the house over versus just what you said. Hey, we just acquired your loan. I see you're behind. Tell me your story. What happened? How come you fell behind? Yeah, that's a whole different approach. Oh, my gosh. It's so different approach. It throws people off. And then you follow up. Well, the... how much time you got, buddy? <laughs> and then you had some people that would come back and say, they tell you the story, and then they would lay. They would. You could hear the frustration in their voice with how bad some of the people coming into this industry were treating them. There was one lady, and I will never forget this in Tampa. It was a house in Tampa. We purchased the property, said, tell us your story, what happened? And she had, I want to say it was MS, multiples, Mm -hmm. and it was not the best. Or her mom had it. It was her mom had it. And they were living in this little house in Tampa, nice house. And somebody, they fell behind. There was roof problems, leaks in the property. The mom ended up, there somebody came in, bought the house, they were behind. They said, look, the house had been sold a few, or the mortgage had been sold a few times. One person who ended it, who had it before we did, or two times before us, told him, like, look, if you guys don't get out of the house, I'm going to have you arrested. And so they went and lived inside of a storage shed. Oh, you told me this. Yeah. And they had some running or they had electricity in the storage shed, but they lived in a shed. So they weren't in the house. It was still on the property. But they're like, we needed somewhere to go. And her mom ended up dying in the storage shed. Like just, it was just some terrible stories, stuff like that. But you really, you learn then it's like, there are people on the other end of these things. Let's go ahead and treat them like people. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And it was a great paradigm shift. It made me feel much better about the business, doing it and helping people out and collecting the the income. It's funny. Now, it seems that this kind of investment strategy is more prevalent than it was when at least when I even when I was first starting with you guys. I remember we were at, what was it, I Am In one of those years? And it was only TJ on the stage. He was that, that had like this investment philosophy. And the other couple guys were on stage and they're like, I don't care, give me money, get out type ideas. And he was approached by, was it Freddie or Fanny or some big, someone like that, approached him afterwards and was like, we love that. Oh, it was HUD. It was HUD. HUD. They had a HUD person there auditing the show to see what exactly was being, what kind of stuff was there and... What were they saying? What were they saying? Yeah. And TJ was the only one that HUD was like, we like your mentality and where you're going with this. And Yeah. And it's funny because now it's... Now it's commonplace. Now if you go look, we were... I feel like we were one of the first ones to be beating that drum as a company to say, hey, let's... Yeah. But it's the better path. We're a mission-based or we have a profit and purpose, managing with the double bottom line, connecting money with meaning. We had those sort of things and now you see a lot of impact note investing stuff. That's good. Yeah, it's good. That's good. The more the merrier. I mean, it definitely changed the 
outlook for the whole industry because then it won't be the the vulture funds that'll be these different types of vulture funds are maybe the older style a lot of things like that are changing though in all different types of industries where it's i think you hear the word vulture fund and i think sometimes that phrase gets mislabeled because if you look at what's a vulture actually do they clean up they clean up they eat dead things (laughs) <laughs> they yeah. think they clean up the garbage that's there. And I think that if you can, the reality is that there's still those problems out there. Mm-hmm. There's problem assets out there. They're in neighborhoods, they're vacant houses, they're zombie foreclosures. And vulture funds go in there and they clean that up. True. And so I think that if you understand that you're going to take back foreclosures, but it's not a take back house first mentality. It's look, let's help people, let's save their home, let's do what we can that way, and then start working down the progressions to, okay, I have to take the house back through foreclosure. Yeah, that's, that's something that has to happen. It's last option, not first option. Yeah, it's last option, not first option. So I think if you look at it through that, those optics, it's look, they get a bad name and it's a sexy headline for somebody in the media to write vulture fund. But the reality is that there's a purpose in the food chain for the vulture funds to clean up that mess. And you can have people who have that sort of profit and purpose but end up having to take stuff back through foreclosure. And it's a cycle of life because when we do something like that, we then take one back through foreclosure. We try to offer it back out. Mm-hmm. and offer some owner financing on it so we have a an affordable housing solution for people in the market. That's because smart. there's people who are not bankable. They can't get financing, but they have twenty grand to put down to own a house, and they have great income. They just have a hiccup on their credit that's the banks are like, sorry, I won't loan to you. Rural America, there's some stuff in rural America where people, there's a lot of people out there with money that they can pay for the house. They just need somebody to give them a chance. So we, we try to... That's smart. Take back those bad opportunity or those bad situations and turn them into positive situations when once we foreclose. So that's good. I like it. This is it's been great, man. We're right on the time. Yep, right there. That was how. So no, let me go with last question. Last Eight. question. Always one more. Always last. This is going to be. I'm going to go sideways on this one. Okay, curveball. Curveball. I'm joking. I'm not going to go curveball. There's no detour, Berkey. This podcast. So our. When you work the things out with the borrowers and say you turn to reperforming, things like that, tell us why that is a more valuable asset than if you were to go to foreclosure. Where do you think you can make the best bang for your buck? Or is it just always different per transaction? It's Oh, every asset's different. Every asset's its own little child that you have to manage differently. It's, it all depends on the states. If you're looking in judicial foreclosure states or there's some assets where there's the one in Kentucky we've talked about before yeah. where... The guy ran us through the foreclosure obstacle course a few times, and that burns up cash. And so if you're going to, whatever, whenever we go into a property and we're going to try to modify the loan or get them paying again, we try to get them paying immediately. I'm talking like we've partnered up with HUD certified counselors that can reach out the day we buy the asset. And they can start firing in, or once the asset's been boarded, they can start firing in and hey, non-for-profit, let's go in there and try to work with these people. So we try to get them on a payment plan. That's smart. It's like, look, do you want to do this? If you want to keep your house, we, I want, we want to help you. Tell us a story. You want to keep it? 
You gotta start making some payments. That's mm. just that's just habit. Show me, it's habit forming. Do something like that. Each one's different, so you just gotta understand that some you can go in there, and he may get a he may get a borrower who's just been through five different loan sales and been beat up, and they are not gonna talk to you. Yeah, that sucks. It does suck, and it's just it's a dog that's been beaten and it's in a rescue clinic, and you go to touch it, it's like that. It's just there's nothing you can do. You try to help and help and help, and eventually you just have to realize that they got to want to get helped. Oh. Yeah, that's true. So that's huh, that's interesting. That, I just had to know that question. It had I don't even know if I answered it. Did I answer it? You just said no. It's not. It's different each with each one. Each one's different. Each yeah. one's different. Sometimes it's better to go this route. Sometimes it's better to go this route. I just thought maybe turning things, reperforming, is was a, always a more lucrative one. I don't know if it is. It's not. Some the reality is sometimes. Sometimes there's more money to be made by taking the asset back. But would you, you still would go this route over this route? Sure. But there's sometimes when it's more lucrative to take the asset back. You try to offer these people to stay, but when it comes in and you look at the numbers, it's like, these people don't have any cap. They don't have any income. There's nothing I can, I can't help them. Like they can't afford anything. Because oh. at the end of the day, we're still managing a business. You're still trying to generate revenue for your investor. You still you still manage that. You still are like, look, I have to manage for profit and purpose. And if we could give the houses away for free, definitely I would do it, but we can't do that. That's not the reality. So the reality is you look at it, sometimes they're just too far gone, you have to foreclose, and you go about it that way. Interesting, interesting. Cool, that, uh, that sums up this one. We're right about 30 minutes, mm -hmm. I appreciate it. We'll have another one. We're getting right up the rungs of the ladder. I think we're like 14 or 15 or something like that. What do we agree, 20? 20. Let me start bringing on people. So we're gonna start flying you guys in. You can be sitting right here with me and Rick. We're not flying people in. Only if they're in Orlando already. <laughs> All right, we appreciate it. Check us out. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do so. And yep. we will, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Paperstack Podcast. See ya.